Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Isn't it fascinating that when we think about models of mission in the scripture, I'm quite sure our minds immediately turn to figures like Abraham, Moses, Nehemiah, Caleb, or in the New Testament, great figures like the Apostle Paul or Peter. But I actually believe, and I hope we will all be convinced of this, that uh, by the time we finish about five o'clock this afternoon, having looked at Epaphras, uh, you will be as convinced as I am that he is a wonderfully inspiring model for mission in the 21st century. And thank you, Michael, for the introduction to People International a few minutes ago. It's great to find out more about People International. And welcome to Ireland. It's good to have you in these parts. We always like to welcome people from the little island to the west of Ireland. And uh, welcome to the mainland here from the United States of America. We look forward to hearing more this evening. I couldn't help but think when you... uh, gave your introduction. I remember seeing a a poster in a businessman's office one time. And instead of the businessman sitting behind his desk, he was actually cowering underneath his desk in fear. And the caption underneath it was, when the going gets tough, the tough hide. (laughs) Now, I'm sure that's not what we'll be hearing about uh, later today. Now, Epaphras, Here he is in Colossians chapter 1. There are actually two references to Epaphras in the book of Colossians in the first chapter and in the last chapter. So let's go to the first chapter first. Colossians chapter 1 and we'll start at verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. And that you have already heard about in the word of truth. The gospel that has come to you. All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it. And understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. And if we turn over to the page to the right, to the last chapter of Colossians, we start at verse 10, Colossians 4, verse 10. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. 
Epaphras, here he is again, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. So there we have it. That's what we know about Epaphras from Paul's letter to Colossians. Now, for the benefit of those who weren't here last night, I'd like to show just a brief video. Watch and listen. Clearly, this guy was not expecting to happen what happened. He misread the signals. He didn't read the signs. He thought it was his alarm clock making the noise. Instead, it's that noise that comes from a lorry as it's reversing. So he got a mega surprise, perhaps more in the realm of shock than surprise. And it's been my experience that when we sit under the word of God, God has some surprises for us. So I'm really issuing a health warning at the beginning of the Bible readings. It may very well be that as we stand under God's word, and remember that's the only way to understand God's word, to stand under it, it just may be that God has surprises for some of us here this week. Let's be open to that and obedient to whatever his call is. I'll say more about this tomorrow morning. But I am utterly convinced that so much of the church's mission is through not the celebrities and the big names, but through people like Epaphras. And why is it in our Western culture today we are so obsessed with celebrity and with fame? It's not so in the kingdom of God. God uses those who are humble And so much of the evangelism and the mission in New Testament times was through people whose names we don't even know. Just read the Acts of the Apostles. And I think it's a shame that probably most of us here have never even heard a sermon preached about Epaphras. And yet clearly through him, God did so much in the founding of a church in modern Turkey. You'll see uh, a map up here behind us and where the blue circle is, is where Colossae is. And quite clearly, Epaphras was one of the founders of the churches in Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea. Almost certainly, he was a citizen of Colossae, because as you will have noticed in verse 12 of chapter 4, Paul refers to Epaphras as one of you, one of the group of people that he's writing to from the area that they live in. He is one of you. And clearly, he was one of the uh, the disciples of Jesus, who was a church planter, who was highly respected, and who did so much. And yet, so many of us have never heard of him. But isn't that the way it's always been in mission? Right across the world, so much is accomplished through heroes of the faith who 
with humility and in obedience, are faithful ministers of Christ. I've had the privilege in my lifetime of meeting many people like that. I can think of one single lady who has served for decades in a remote part of Paraguay. You would never have heard her name mentioned. But my, what a hero of the faith. And how God has used her serving poor and marginalized people in rural Paraguay, in the center of South America. And here is Epaphras, who at this time is probably with Paul in Rome. And clearly, Paul the Apostle thinks the world of Epaphras. I wonder why. Well, let's look at some of the things Paul says about Epaphras. Look at verse 13 in chapter 4 of Colossians. Epaphras, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. This is the area of central Turkey, modern-day Turkey, in the Lycos Valley. And one of the marks of Epaphras was that he was a hard worker. Some people seem to think that being a Christian is like being in a kind of spiritual Disney world. It's full of thrills. It's pleasure-seeking. But actually, sometimes serving God is actually sheer hard work. And sometimes mission is simply grafting away. As I heard years ago from a dear friend, praise and pray and peg away is actually the characteristic of holy people. And Epaphras was one of those people who was praising and praying and pegging away, a hard worker. Folks, there is no mission, there is no church growth without hard work. There are no shortcuts. There are no slick recipes or techniques. Epaphras was a man who was on the job and who got on with the job. And yet, the attitude of many today seems to be summed up in this poster. Hard work never killed anyone, but why take the chance? Do you know people like that? They're more horizontal than vertical. They're so laid back, they're horizontal. They don't know the meaning of hard work. But in the kingdom of God, there's no place for laziness, Did we ever see in the life and ministry of Jesus lethargy or laziness? Of course not. Nor do we see lethargy and laziness in the lives of those who walk close with him. We do see hard work. And that was a mark of the life of Epaphras. My first time at this convention in Bangor was in the 1960s. And I vividly remember the first sermon I heard preached at this convention in the late 1960s. It was at a meeting across the road in Hamilton Road Baptist Church Hall, and the speaker was Stuart Briscoe. And he preached on Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5, A wise son gathers in harvest, but a son who sleeps in harvest brings Shame. Wonderful words. For any preachers here, there's a harvest text for this autumn. A son who sleeps in harvest brings shame. A wise son gathers in summer. And Epaphras 
was a wise son. He got on with the work. And yet, those of us who have grown up in Northern Ireland know that there are people in our community and they have clearly an allergy to work, even in the churches. I know of one guy who was happily unemployed for years and years, and out of the blue one day, he received a letter from an employer offering him a job. Do you know what he did with it? He took it immediately to the police station to complain that he'd had a threatening letter. (laughs) A total allergy to work in any shape or form. Epaphras was the total opposite to that. I vouch for you that he is working hard for you. I'm reading through the book of Proverbs at the moment in my own personal devotions, and I've been struck again by the number of times that laziness is decried in the book of Proverbs, or the old word sloth or sloth. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 13, verse 4. Or Proverbs chapter 6, verse 4. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Do you remember last night I said the Bible's as up to date as the morning newspaper, quoting George Bernard Shaw? The Bible is as knowledgeable about ants as any writer in the 20th or 21st century on ants. I came across a book written in the late 20th century on ants, And let me quote to you from this book. The author is Derek Rag Morley. I quote, A number of ants start on jobs that need doing. They get excited about them, and they arise the desires in other ants to get on with the jobs. What a picture for the church. You didn't think you'd be learning about ants this morning, did you? But I'm only referring to them because Proverbs 6 does, in the context of hard work. Diligence, getting on with the job. Isn't a dream church focused on mission about a number of Christians starting in jobs that need doing? They get excited about them. And they arise the desires in other Christians to get on with their jobs. Wow, that's a dream church. No laziness, no lethargy, working hard, purposefully, intentionally. And Epaphras was someone who knew the importance of making the most of his time, not in fruitless activity, but in fruitful gospel work. He was not just a servant, he was a profitable servant. And where had he learnt this? Well, surely he had learnt it from seeing a model in others. Paul writing to the Thessalonians speaks to the Thessalonians about what they had seen in his life. They'd seen him pastoring, teaching, praying, preparing, writing, encouraging. He was modeling discipleship and mission for them. As I think of my Christian life, I can honestly say I have learned so much by seeing how Christ is at work in the lives of other people and being inspired by that. Wasn't that the Jesus model? The disciples didn't just hear his teaching. They saw how it was worked out and lived out in his life. He was modeling something for them. And they picked it up and they caught it. And they went out to try and do the same. 
And one of the things the disciples learned from Jesus, and one of the lessons Epaphras learned from the Apostle Paul and others whom he had seen, is that mission and Christian life is actually about hard work. And sometimes there's a cost in that, and there can be pain in that. One of my great heroes is John Stott. He's now well into his 80s, a man whom God has used amazingly. Indeed, I think it was in Time magazine some years ago where they identified the 100 most influential people in the 20th century, and John Stott was included in that list of names. Remarkable for a Christian leader. When he moved on from All Souls Langham Place, where he had served for many years, he was succeeded by a man called Michael Bond, who moved from a church in Manchester, Holy Trinity Platt, to All Souls in London, and later became the Bishop of Chester. When he went to All Souls, it was sheer hard work, and indeed incredibly difficult in the early days. Someone writing about what he experienced wrote this, No one who was there will ever forget the first annual general meeting of the church where, to their shame, certain members reduced the new vicar to tears with the virulence of their opposition. Michael Bond died deaths then, not one but many. And in the context of all that the gospel states about dying to live, they were the ground out of which arose a new man. He had come from Manchester, stating that God had brought him to London, but through the bitterness of those days, he came to rest on the rock of the conviction that indeed he would stay in London, and ultimately the opposition would be won over, worn down, or outlived. Ring any bells? Christian leadership. Christian mission can be hard work, and sometimes there's a cost. Out of those days, too, came a simple phrase stated and restated with passion and eloquence by Michael Bond when advocating first changes in worship patterns. Now, that's heresy in many churches, isn't it? Because we worship SOS, same old stuff. When advocating first changes in worship patterns, in our tradition you can preach heresy in the pulpit and very few will blink an eyelid, change the worship pattern, you're a heretic. Then changes in church furniture, well that's even worse, is it not? And ultimately the reconstruction of All Souls Church itself. And the phrase that Michael Bond used again and again and again was this, and I quote, it is for the gospel's sake. It is for the gospel's sake. Why did folk want to hang on to the mahogany pews, the red carpet, the brass rails, the great forbidding doors, when thousands outside of that church building did not know Christ? The first step in the right direction was to serve coffee in one aisle of the church. From insulated urns hauled up from the basement. With that and the things that followed, it seemed that the floodgates of blessing were opened. 
And whereas Michael Bond's first few weeks, in his first few weeks, no one had been converted to Christ, scores and then hundreds of people professed faith. Hallelujah. But it was hard work, folks. It was hard work. And with this, I finish Michael, uh, this section. Michael Bond said, My question to the critics was, What do you think the Lord of the church is telling us to do in view of our responsibility here in the center of London? It's a good question. Whichever church you belong to, what do you think the Lord of the church is calling your church to be and to do in the community that we're a part of? Michael Bond said, I felt the real issue was what Jesus Christ wanted and not what we liked about ecclesiastical buildings. That's mission, folks. Hard work. And Epaphras knew all about that. Secondly, another mark of Epaphras' life is what I've called heart prayer. Look at verse 12 in Colossians chapter 4. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Wow. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Isn't that quite a graphic statement? For some of us, prayer is more like a sedate afternoon picnic than a wrestling ring. Not so Epaphras. Some other versions of the Bible translate this, and I quote, always remembering you earnestly in his prayers. Another version writes, he prays hard for you all the time. J.B. Phillips paraphrased it, he prays constantly and earnestly for you. This was Epaphras. In our tradition, in the Anglican tradition, whenever someone is ordained, one of the questions they are asked is this, will you be diligent in your prayers? Prayer is a priority. There is no mission, folks, without prayer to the God of mission. It simply will not happen. Lives will not be changed as God wills they would be. Epaphras knew the secret of prayer. And it was another important priority part of his life and ministry. And clearly, he wasn't praying glibly or superficially, but earnestly, in depth. A growing church will be a praying church. Raymond said to me earlier this morning that years ago, he read a little booklet by um, Oswald Sanders. Now, this will date Raymond because it cost him one and sixpence, he said. (laughs) Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Young people over here and wherever else you are, find out from some of the older ones what one and sixpence is. But Saunders wrote this. The church in Colossae was standing because Epaphras was kneeling. And I wonder how that is also true in your church and the churches I have the privilege of serving. Epaphras had these people in Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea, deep in his heart, and he really prayed for them. 
I remember visiting an old lady one time in a parish where I was serving. And as sometimes happened, and I'm sure this happens in other traditions, there are references to previous rectors, curates, pastors, ministers who have served in that congregation. In fact, the way to sinless perfection is to leave the church. And when you've left, everybody thinks you're wonderful. It doesn't seem to happen when you're there. And anyway, she was referring to a former person who had served in this place. And I knew him. He was a big guy. And she said to me, you know, Reverend Clark, when the Reverend Rooney said, let us pray, we prayed. Well, Epaphras prayed, not just words, but he touched the heart of God. Where did he learn that? Let's read John 17. Didn't Jesus pray for his disciples? What's Jesus doing at this very moment? Praying for you and for me. Interceding at the right hand of God. Every Christmas, for almost 50 years, I have received a Christmas card from someone. And every year is written on it, I am praying for you. And I know he is. Every week, for nearly 50 years, he means it. And I thank God for people in my life who are like Epaphras, praying earnestly, consistently. I remember being quite ashamed at a meeting of clergy many years ago when the clergy for over half an hour were talking about how do we get people in our churches to pray? Why is the prayer meeting the worst attended group of the whole week? How do we get... And on and on this went... There was a lovely dear brother there from Africa with us that morning. I'll never forget it. And he just listened to us whining for about 40 minutes. And you could have heard a pin drop when he said, Brothers, may I say something? And with that beautiful, distinctive African style and grace, he said to me, he said to us, he said, may I ask you all a question? How long have you spent praying today? Wow. You could have heard a pin drop. It's not just about other people praying, actually. It's about us praying. I suspect most of us here have heard of William Carey. He's known as the father of modern missions. I wonder how many of us have heard of William Carey's sister, I only heard about her a few years ago when I was reading a magazine and I was deeply impacted when I read what I read about her. Do you know that William Carey's sister was severely paralyzed? She had to be carried everywhere. She was bedridden, as we say. And yet for over 50 years, William Carey's sister, as she lay on her back, prayed for her brother William. And the only way she could communicate with him was by writing encouraging letters with a pencil held between her teeth. What a ministry. Folks, mission happens at the coalface because of people like William Carey's sister. 
People like Epaphras praying earnestly. There are some young people here over 70, 80 years old. And I'm always impacted when I meet people in the, 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 the most exciting stage of life. And sometimes some will say to me, but sure, there's nothing I can do anymore. Nonsense. One of the most important ministries we can have is the ministry of prayer. And the prayers don't have to be long. And Epaphras learnt that secret. And God has chosen many of us to be missionaries and to impact mission through our prayers. We may be lying on our back day after day. We may be pushing the zimmer, wishing there was an engine on it, regretting that mobility has long gone. But the ministry of prayer is open to all of us, wrestling in prayer for you. That was Epaphras. Colossians 4 verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, writes Paul. And Epaphras did. A third mark of Epaphras was this. Epaphras was somebody who had a clear aim in his praying. Look again at Colossians 4 verse 12. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God. There's a clear aim. Why is he praying? What's he praying for? He's praying that these Christians will stand firm in all the will of God. Notice the next word, mature and fully assured. That was his clear aim. There was no confusion about it. He wanted to see not just young Christians, not just new Christians, but mature Christians. Christians going on in their faith. I was 60 this year, and the family had a surprise party for me. And I have to tell you, I didn't get one sensible present. <laughs> well, no, I did, actually. I'm wrong about that. One, I got a golf trolley with a battery on it so that I don't have to push it anymore. Because they know that I walk much longer distances than most people do on a golf course. In fact, my golf is apostolic, like the apostles I go here, there, and everywhere. But anyway, we won't go down that line. But one of the presents I was given was a teddy bear. Well, a kind of bear. And, and you sit it on a, on a firm edge, and then you squeeze it hand, its hand, and it starts singing, When I'm 64. You know that Beatles song? But it says on the front of it, he's wearing this vest, and it says on it, Growing old is essential, but growing up is optional. <laughs> Wouldn't you like friends like that? Growing up is optional. It's exactly the same in the Christian life. We can go on to maturity, or can we can stay as spiritual babes in the nursery? Epaphras wanted to see people growing in their faith, becoming mature and fully assured. Is that what we're aiming at in mission and in our endeavors in our churches and parishes? Not just longing to see people coming to faith, but see people growing in the faith, developing spiritual muscles, becoming strong and firm and secure and mature in Christ. So important to have a clear aim. If we fail to plan, we plan to fail, as somebody said. 
I'm sure years ago some of you heard or read some of the books by that very colorful Argentinian Pentecostal pastor, Juan Carlos Ortiz. And in one of his books, he writes this, I quote, We have a phenomenon in the church today, which I call the eternal babyhood of the believer. We have members of our churches who, after years of hearing messages, are just the same. They continually need a minister to keep after them, changing their nappies, putting talcum on them, and checking that their milk isn't too hot. The church seems more like a nursery than an army. Sometimes we fool ourselves because we grow numerically. We think that this is growth, but to grow in numbers is not spiritual growth. Cemeteries also grow numerically. To have a hundred people without love and then two hundred people without love is just to get fat. You see, Christ wants to see disciples made. And Epaphras had that same vision. As he prayed, as he worked, as he ministered, it was to see these Christians becoming strong and mature in their faith. And that's what mission is all about. It's not just seeing people coming to Christ. It's seeing people walking in the truth, living in the truth, living in the light, growing strong in the faith. What's your clear aim in your Christian life at this particular time? Do we have any aims? Do we have any objectives at all? In the churches where we have the privilege of serving and being a part of, Are we clear about what we're about? We had the privilege of serving as missionaries in Chile for several years. We were in a church planting situation in the university city of Valdivia in the south of Chile. And I remember we'd been there about six months and we were learning Spanish and struggling. And our brief was the the bishop, the Anglo-Chilean bishop who'd served in that area, had gathered a a group of people around him, and our brief was to help that group of people really grow into a congregation. But after about six months there, um, the the kind of little leadership group that was emerging, uh, I was meeting with them, and after a little while, they asked me to leave the room. Now, I thought, this is very strange. Now, let me explain to you, in the Church of Ireland system back here in Ireland, If the rector's asked to leave the room, he sometimes tries to hide his smile because it could be he's in for a pay rise, you know. And so they want to talk. So you kind of go out, you know, like a little soldier of hope. Sometimes hope can be disappointed, I have to say. But anyway, but I couldn't understand because we weren't being paid by the church. We were supported by the South American Mission Society. I thought, what's going on? So anyway, they called me back in again. And I will never forget this. Now, remember, we'd left Ireland, Northern Ireland, Dundonald specifically, to go to win South America to Christ. The enthusiasm was so great. Not just Valdivia. Do you know what they asked me when I went back into the room? They said, Fanta, we have a question for you. Why are you here? Why are we here? It was actually a very good question. A very good question. And out of that came a most fruitful discussion. Nobody had explained to them why we were there. Suddenly these gringos, these missionaries from Ireland, had just been landed with them. And nobody had really understood why. 
so important that we know what we're here for, that we're clear about objectives, and Epaphras certainly was. William Booth once had an audience with Edward VII of England. His Majesty highly commended the Salvationist for his unflagging zeal and his wonderful work among the poor. But Booth's reply to the king was very revealing. Just listen to these words. He said, Your Majesty, some men's passion is for gold, some men's passion is for art, some men's passion is for fame. My passion is for souls. And if you were here last night, you will know that he meant the whole person when he said that. He was Salvation Army. A clear aim, just like Epaphras. Finally, I think there's one more lesson we can learn from Epaphras. Turn to chapter 1 of Colossians. Verses 6 and 7. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras. You learned it from Epaphras. You learned it from Epaphras. They saw in Epaphras a good example. I don't know whether it's because I'm getting old or not, but in the last few years I have met so many people who have been hurt by the church. And they're maybe no longer part of a a congregation. They, They love Jesus, but they've been so hurt. They haven't seen a good example, the kind of example that is a Christ-like life, that's Jesus-shaped and Jesus-like. And may God forgive us that sometimes, let's be honest, our churches are not the communities of faith and love that Paul refers to here in Colossians chapter 1. But Epaphras had seen a good example. And the people he served in Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea had seen a good example in him. They'd learned the gospel from him. They'd heard the gospel from him. They'd seen the gospel lived out in his life. Isn't that the Jesus way? Not just preaching, but practicing the preaching. Not just creeds, but deeds. I mentioned a few moments ago about a our time in Chile. In the 20th century, one of the Christian traditions that grew the most in Chile was the Methodist Pentecostal Church. It began in the year 1909 through a missionary called Willis, Willis Hoover. I always thought with a name like that, he must have been plugged into the bar, you know. But anyway, it was through him that this Methodist Pentecostal Church was founded and started to grow. And In the church, they had this kind of paradigm of leadership, and I quote, you are a witness if you bring somebody to the Lord. You are a worker if you mobilize a group of Christians. You are a pastor if you plant a church that can pay for your salary. And you are ordained when you've planted 15 to 20 churches. Wow. Is it any wonder 
that church grew rapidly in the 20th century. You see, they had caught a vision that Epaphras had caught, that Jesus modeled, of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. It can be difficult, but it's the right way. And isn't it interesting that Paul refers to Epaphras as a faithful minister of Christ, a faithful minister of Christ. And it's that kind of faithfulness that you and I are called to, a faithfulness in truth, a faithfulness in love, a faithfulness in life. We served for four and a half years in a church called Crinken on the south side of Dublin, really on the outskirts of Bray in County Wicklow. And I was regularly inspired when I'd stand at the front of that church and there was a plaque on the wall in memory of the first minister of that church. What a wonderful name he had, the Reverend John Winthrop Hackett, M.A. And this is what it said on that plaque, and I quote, the first minister of this church, and for nearly half a century, its devoted pastor, gifted with a rare and persuasive eloquence and adorned with a holy consistency of life. Now listen to this. His aim was ever to exalt the Savior, win the sinner, and edify the church of God. Wonderful. That was Epaphras. Exalting the Savior, winning the sinner, and edifying or building up the church of God. And then it went on to say of John Winthrop Hackett, the cause of Christian missions throughout the world was dear to his heart. To him, to live was Christ, and to die was gain. Wow, wouldn't you love people to write that about you when you go to glory? His aim, her aim, to exalt Christ. Let me finish with this. There is one other reference to Epaphras in the New Testament. It's actually in that little short book we call Philemon. It's in verse 23, and it simply says this, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner for Christ Jesus. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner for Christ Jesus, send you greetings. Folks, here is a man who so loved Christ, and his loyalty to, to, to Christ was so deep and real that he was willing to go to prison for Christ, and he did an interesting piece of Christian tradition is that the martyrologies make Epaphras to have been the first bishop of Colossae and to have suffered martyrdom there. It could very well have happened because here is this model for mission that we've looked at this morning, a man who profoundly and passionately loved Christ. He worked hard for his Lord he prayed hard to his Lord and for the Lord's people. His passion was to see Christians growing and becoming mature. He was absolutely clear and focused in his aim. He burned out for God. He was faithful unto death and he received the crown of life. And I submit to you that the church today in the 21st century needs people like Epaphras. And by the grace of God and in the power of his Holy Spirit, you and I can be those people. Let us pray.
Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the cloud of witnesses who are such an inspiration to us, who encourage us not just to run the race, but to finish it. And we pray that you will help us to run in the way you've called us to run, to live in the way that brings joy to your heart. And please help us, Lord Jesus, in the power of your Holy Spirit to be faithful unto death. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.